welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts David and Nick. This week, we'll see how Jim Gordon is handling being the Bat, take a visit to old Civil War battlegrounds, talk the latest in Marvel casting news, and see what all the hubbub is about over at Dark Horse. Stay tuned for this, and more! You mean, yeah. heck yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah comics. Oh, I don't get it. You don't get it? No, I've never, never, I've never really gotten the title of the show. Because it's all like, heck yeah, we heck. love comics. Is that we like always a... short into like, heck yeah comics. Well, I mean, it's so easier. I... It's easier for people to, you know, for the kids with their short attention spans these days with their gizmos. Well, see, there's there's a comic publisher called Aw Yeah Comics. So I feel like when you say Heck Yeah Comics, it kind of sounds like we're a publisher, I'm, not a podcast. I'm really hoping that people get those confused and end up uh, on our webpage. <laughs> What's that publisher called? They make great all-ages comics. Let me look it up. Uh, I think it's called Heck Yeah. Oh, oh, podcast. Well, I'll check it out anyway. That's where uh, most of our, our listenership who uh, are not terrorists in caves come from. Mm-hmm. Oh, Thank man. you to all our loyal listeners for joining <laughs> us on another episode. Yes, yes. Uh, I feel like we lose more of you every week. <laughs> and uh, when you start with zero, when you, you it gets, like, it's really hard getting to negative people listening to this. Yeah, it's like running in place. We're actually like we're we're uh, like we're paying people to listen to the show now. Well, that, I mean, we'd have to because no one would no one would ever pay us to listen to it. Uh, and our our in- insecurities aside. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's all in good fun. We know we I, know you're out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. They know that we're all like super super nervous and no one likes us. That's but, true. Uh, David, let's just keep I, yourself I, uh, deprecating. A little off topic. Hmm? Ooh, but I'm okay. Assuming- I'm assuming you're happy that Harry Shearer is back on The Simpsons. Oh yeah, so it's uh, it's it's a real funny thing because like that was kind of for a lot of people it was like oh man, it's gone on too long, you know mm-hmm. like now like you're having original cast members who aren't leaving because of death are now just leaving of their own free will and mm-hmm. then like it totally psych out he's back. I really enjoyed uh, the Reddit thread on that because I'm I'm sub to uh, R Simpsons. Um, so when that was announced, all it was was all these great quotes from The Simpsons of uh, of like times where people did stuff just for money, or uh, it's like you know, let's just say that he moved into a bigger house. Oh no, I said the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud, just like stuff like, like all these great like quotes like that. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I haven't watched The Simpsons in a while, mm-hmm. but um, there will probably come a point where I will. You know, once it's once it's available easily, not on the Simpsons World app stuff. Once it's like available, you know, easily for me to consume in mass quantities, I will watch a bunch of the newer stuff. Once it once it finally hits Netflix. Oh man, I can you know if that happens, it's going to be a dark day for my household because uh, <laughs> nothing's getting done around here. I will lose my job. My my dog will uh, starve to death, and my wife will leave me, and I will have no idea. Because I'm watching The Simpsons. Just nonstop, <laughs> just on repeat. That was, was kind of like me today. I, I was just like, yeah, 
I'm I'm picking up my comics and I'm going home and I'm just gonna sit and read them. And a few couple things got on the way, but other than that, like I got nothing done. And to say that Anna was not a hundred percent happy with me would be saying the least. Um <laughs> but but I did get some comics in, so I feel comfortable talking about them. Well, that's great. So let's start with Descender. You cut up on Descender, right, Nick? No, I did not. <sighs> I, I, met, I thought I said it to you in a text. I, I know. I, borrow I, the other issues. I really wanted to just uh, drag you out through the mud in front of our audience. Oh. And oh. shame you publicly, if possible. It was a really good issue. I, I was actually talk, I was talking to one of the guys that works at my shop, and he says like he's been seeing seeing like a really big uptick. Like people are really getting into Descender. Like it's a steadily growing fan base, issue by issue, which is good because yeah. Well, and this like this issue was surprising. Like not to go into any spoilers, I texted you uh, quickly. Like oh man, this is so brutal because uh, there's like a, just a part that if it was any other comic artist would be, like, in-your-face, like, super extra gory. And, like, it really was, like, a gory situation. They don't hide it. But, like, there's not extra blood flying out of the situation, which mm. I feel like other artists would have, like, uh, really emphasized. But to see that in Dustin Nguyen art was very surprising. Mm. And, yeah, uh, this is his real first, I mean, all intents and purposes, mature work versus, you know, something like Batman or mm-hmm. Justice League Beyond, other stuff that he's done. Yeah, and... uh Oh, there's like a really big revelation at the end, which I would love to talk about with you when you get into it. And uh, I, I really like that the character of Driller is is stuck around so much. Because uh, Driller Driller is a real killer, let me tell you. <laughs> That's what he keeps telling us, and I gotta believe him. Driller is a killer, a real killer. Yeah, I thought you know I thought it was like okay, there's like a a mining robot that's gonna like go away after two issues. Mm-hmm. And he's like he's you know on the cover now he's like he's the actor who like showed up in a couple of first season appearances but then like is suddenly in the opening credits in season two he just be like became a series regular yeah well i mean it's i bet it's one of those things where maybe like after the first couple of issues like in the planning stages or like when lemire was scripting you know he was just like man I, I i i keep getting more ideas for this robot that i didn't initially have plans for so they adapt the story around mm-hmm. developing his character that's kind of like um i haven't i haven't read chew unfortunately i plan on it eventually uh, it's apparently it's ending in 10 issues is it uh, yeah it's ending at 60 but uh layman said uh, the character of Poyo, which i haven't read it but apparently Poyo is a badass um people like Poyo. people love Poyo. Apparently, like, he wasn't supposed to be this big thing, uh, but then he wrote it, and he's like, "Well, I like this character is so great. I just have to keep doing stuff with it. Can't just you know do the one and done sort of idea that he had." Exactly, that happens, you know. And sometimes, as long as you don't overplay it and you just keep it special, uh, as long as it, you know, uh, I believe it's called the Scrappy Do. I think is uh, the trope when. Uh, when creators kind of force a character on us, uh, let me. I'm totally looking this up right now too. Um, the Scrappy Do. The Scrappy Do. Yeah. So okay, TVTropes.com. Uh, the Scrappy, as it is, as the trope is called. Popular characters have fandoms, but sometimes there's a character who has a hate dumb. We'll call this guy the Scrappy. Scrappies come in many different forms. Some of the most commonly hated characters are viewed as very flat. Um, no, no, that's not what I'm thinking of. I think I'm thinking of. Uh, the Wesley, I think they call it. Or is it just Creator's Pet? Yeah, yeah. Like a Mary Sue? No, no, no. Um, the Creator's Pet, uh, they can try to ignore it, tweak the character more like a version, or even play it for laughs. It's basically um, 
nor is it the canon suit. I'm trying to think of like what. I'm sorry, I'm totally going down this hole now of TV See, that tropes. makes me sad about Scrappy, because, I mean, having not really watched Scooby-Doo since I was a kid, Scrappy was, like, on the cartoon, like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to, I'm not going to say that he wasn't, that he was tall, like, I was tolerant of him, but, like, I just kind of, like, went along with whatever they said, like, oh, he's this kind of annoying yappy dog, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, it was oddly mature, I guess, for the time, but I was just, like, accepting him for, as part of the establishment, not, like, not like thinking like what could be going on behind the scenes. Like as far as I'm concerned, it's just like for like that 20 minutes, like Scooby Doo is real. Right, you know right. What I'm saying. Um, so it's it's funny when like you get older and you kind of look back and you're like, people really hated certain things. Yeah, but the Scooby Doo movie is great. Apparently, the Scooby Doo comic just crossed over the Secret Squirrel. I really should have picked up that issue. Cause the Secret Squirrel. You don't you don't remember Secret Squirrel? My boss and, always says something about Secret Squirrel Code, and, and I think he said he got it from a TV show. And uh, the Secret Squirrel and his like partner, Morocco Mole. Oh, it's oh so yeah, great. this sounds like something my boss would say. Um, um, okay, yeah, no, I but, never actually watched Secret Squirrel. So the creator's pet trope, who I often uh, heard of as the Wesley, they, the creator's pet is a combination of being hated by fans, loved or worshipped by the writers, put into big scenes for no reasons and talked up by other characters. Uh, so it's basically, what, what are some examples? Does it say, uh, yeah, there's tons. Let's find some, uh, in, uh, in comic books. Why not? Let's, let's see what they say. What? Oh, Damian Wayne was this for a while. Apparently. Um, did they say that he's since left this trope? Uh, when he eventually became the Robin to Dick Grayson's, many fans complained, but he mostly won naysayers over with him as the dark, snarky Robin with when that Jason Todd failed to be during his tenure. Huh. Um, Jason Todd, for a lot of the reasons, which people did hate Jason Todd. Uh, which, I wonder if it's really just in part because he was following Dick Grayson. It was like a... The way that comic fans seem to be now and just kind of like how they were being like then, just without the internet to kind of fuel them on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Jason just happened to be following Dick, who was very, very successful. And probably at that time, a lot of the you know guys, you know, a lot of, as you were developing a fan base that was older, that was that was continuing on from like, like the 40s and the 50s, mm-hmm. were probably just like, whoa, not my Robin. Like this guy has to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, and now, now they're all dead. Now they're all dead. Apparently, I just learned that Scott Snyder uh, was told he could not use Cassandra Kane in his Batman run, so he created Harper Row. That was the original impetus for Harper. I guess, yeah. I mean, they're have they haven't they reintroduced Cassandra Kane yet, or just spoiler? Uh, just spoiler, which to me is a uh, creator's pet because I just like her, but then I have to remember that the fan base actually loves Cassandra Kane. You mean Stephanie Brown? Uh, that's what I. That's what I said. Uh, I don't know. They they all blur together for me. Um, <laughs> all right. Other other creators' pets in comics: the Red Hulk under Jeff Loeb. Yeah, that one I can see. Uh, let's see the Sentry from Mighty Avengers, Dark Avengers. Uh, yeah, all that. Um, let's see. Are there any like indie? Wait, did they say Kitty Pride? Kitty Pride became oh, in an Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay. Was... Well, I thought people liked her in Ultimate Spider-Man and the Ultimate Universe in general. She definitely in the later end, the later um, Ultimates books, um, like post-Death of Spider-Man, she was good in Brian Wood's X-Men uh, mm-hmm. book. 
because he i think i feel like he really kind of developed a purpose for and like a driving story arc but then after that like he showed up in uh cataclysm where like 616 Galact galactus showed up and she like became like the 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 reason that they won um and like then she became like the hero of the world even though like the world was just shitting on mutants like five issues before mm -hmm. and all this like random stuff like she seemed a little out of place like post cataclysm but anyway keep going all right well we'll get to actual comic discussion here in a moment but this is uh this is interesting bit of news Brian Michael Bendis has gone on record uh, as to state that he's always liked Kitty Pride from back when he was a kid, that he enjoyed using her in the comics. Combine that with the statement he made about Peter, quote, being him in the Ultimate Universe, and the conclusion to come to is pretty easy. He was living out his fantasy of dating Kitty Pride. Aren't we all I mean, trying to? Yes. If we were in Bendis' shoes with the oh. same, same situation, would we not do the same? I would I would just like write in a character named David Luzader who <laughs> dates Kitty Pride. Like, Except I think I feel because at one point in Bendis' run, he kind of um, gets uh, Kitty Pride. She like dates Kong for a while, one of Peter's like less utilized supporting characters. Um, and I feel like Kong, you know, Bendis is kind of like a little heavier set, not like fat, but like you know, bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kong was kind of like the bigger guy. In the supporting cast, and I feel like that could be it. Maybe Bendis was like a punk ass in high school, kicking nerds in the in the teeth, and then was like, "I'm gonna write comics." I don't, I don't uh, you know, I, I get a feeling that's not true. I'm jumping from A to E. Yeah, big time. But hey, let's let's talk about stuff that came out this week. There's lots like of lots of good stuff. Let's start, let's start with Batman. Uh, shocker! We, we we never talk about Batman books on this show. We know this is very different for people. I don't so want anyone to be alarmed. Just uh, just uh, strap in and uh, just let it let it let it take you. Let it let it touch you. People must see. Uh, I, I just happened to flip to the the backside and I saw there was a Snickers ad on the on the back page. And people must like roll when they see candy ads now in the books because of the Twix thing. I, you know that's so funny because I had completely forgotten about those. Yeah, until, I mean, it's, it was like, I mean, it was the crisis of June until, 2015, yeah. but... I was reading that the Constantine book, the first one, and, like, it suddenly came up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this was a thing, because I read, like, this, and then uh, Midnighter from last week, and I think uh, that's all for the DC, but, like, going through this and Midnighter, like, it just didn't catch my attention at all. Like, I just completely forgot that it happened. So, uh, people can now move on with their lives, which I'm all for. But let's talk about Batman. Let's talk about Jim Gordon. I so I kind of mentioned this before, but one of the things that's that kind of like I, I've really been kind of hot and cold with Snyder Snyder's Batman run. Um, mm -hmm. But what this is kind of like me when I got on the the super the, the, the I'm having trouble talking today the Superior Spider Man train because it was just so radically different in a way that probably upsets a ton of people, and I was like, I have to check this out, mm -hmm. and I'm loving it. Oh yeah, but I know it's like they'll probably come back around and say this is really a love letter to Bat, like to Bruce Wayne as Batman, and da da da, because it shows you how different it is and how much you want the original. But with the same case with Superior Spider-Man, it didn't make me want the original anymore. No, and it, in this case, I like how refreshingly human Jim Gordon comes off, mm -hmm. and that's and that's one of the great things about this. It doesn't feel like he's writing this like things aren't going terribly, and it's like oh man, we need Bruce Wayne. It's like 
no, someone else can be Batman and be effective. You know, like the, the traditional ways of Batman, which are still well-loved and will return in form at some point, are not, you know, the only way of doing this character. Yeah, and it's not like either with Batman or Spider-Man or Superman, it's not like other people haven't taken up the mantle before. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's only like, say, this with over two issues in, and like Superior Spider-Man, where obviously this is my opinion, have been done effectively. Now, people I know, like, say, with Spider-Man, like, they, there is still a group of people that, like, really love Ben Riley, the clone. But... Yeah, what's he doing? I'm, is he just kicking around the Marvel Universe right now? He's just dead. He's good oh. old-fashioned dead. Cool. Um, but, I mean, there's the other clone, Kane, who has become popular in recent years. Oh, that's but what with, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Kane. But, but with this, it's like, you know, like, there's decades of Bruce Wayne as Batman stories. And there's two issues of Jim Gordon as Batman. And in the same way, it's like, I feel like I didn't get enough Dick Grayson as Batman. I know like however long this is going to be a year, 18 months, however long it might last, probably no more than two years tops. Like when they eventually go back to Bruce and this is kind of how I've been feeling with Peter Parker, like normal Peter Parker back in the role. It's just like, I've been down this road. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just like I it's, it's it makes it when they do these runs, it makes it feel like, oh, it's a complete story. Like it was never going to last. I'm like, because you wrote it that way. Now, I really yeah. I realize why it doesn't last, why it can't last and blah, blah, blah. But I just like how refreshingly different this take is. And I also like assuming that he's not like like, I don't know, mentally ill or like am, amnesiac or something in like the final pages. Uh, spoiler, I, I just kind of like. Bruce doing manual labor okay. like yeah. regular shit. Okay, so you know we're jumping ahead to the end of the book here, um, but at the end of the last issue, we had this tease of this mystery of you know somebody walking by a bench and he looks at the guy sitting there and he's like, "Oh, Bruce Wayne," and so we're like, "Oh man, Bruce is alive," and we get to it and it's so mundane uh, what he's doing. You know, he's helping and he's he's not even hiding his identity. He you know he tells someone to call him Bruce Wayne. Um, he's not. Well, the uh, Duke says, "Right, Bru- right, Mister Wayne." And he says, "No, call me Bruce." Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna get to Duke Thomas here in, in a few minutes here, um, but like, yeah, like he's that's what I'm saying. Like he's not hiding. He's not telling people to call him something else. He, you know, they know him as as Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. um, and for what you know, he's alive. He's well. He's healthy, but he's not like in the cowl. And I'm sure we'll get an answer as to why in the next issue. Um, I think it's because he really wanted to grow a beard and you just can't grow yeah. a beard as Batman. And uh, I have to say that Capullo's uh, Bruce Wayne with a beard looks amazing. It looks good. It now looks there, good. there is the implication at the end here that Jim Gordon knows who Batman is. It's one of those things where I think they're trying to tease that and he's going to like, I mean, cause the, the fan theory, our headcanon says that he knows and he just, chooses not to act on it uh-huh. you know that he he will always pretend like he doesn't know yeah uh, now we you know we kind of as fans have said like oh you know batman is quote-unquote dead so bruce wayne also must be publicly dead but they've never said that they've never said that's the thing it's that batman is missing and and i i like that a lot better than what we usually get this is a yeah. slightly different take on um on the roles of, of like, ah, oh, the hero's gone and missing and he's dead, but he's not really dead. He's still kind of around somewhere. They're just saying like, no, no, he's not dead. He's just not being Batman right now. But 
certain questions are raised that I, I I'm excited to get answered. First off, if if he's fine, because he he obviously knows or thinks that his name is Bruce Wayne, and if if they have continued if they've continued to establish that Julie Madison who um, who he's working with at this it looks like a boys and girls club type thing mm-hmm. if they have a previously previously established relationship in this universe as they have in previous universes. Which I think she was then, in Zero Year. Um, was she in Zero Year? I'm going to find out. She's in Matt Wagner's fantastic Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She totally appears, you before, she but... appears in the Zero Year book. Oh, okay. couple of, I remember so, her there, yeah. So that's good. She, I, I liked, I, I really did like her in... Um, the, the Matt Wagner books and I already literally on a couple of panels I was like I like that she's back um, well did you, did you read all of Zero Year no I only read like the first three or four issues okay. I, it's, on, it's on my list of things to go back and well alright so I'm, I'm going to kind of spoil like the last couple pages here because you know it's been out for a while um, it ends with you know everything's kind of going back to normal and, and Bruce and Alfred kind of have this moment of like does there still need to be a Batman? Um, and and Julie Madison is waiting to speak to Bruce Wayne. And Alfred goes out there and, you know, tells tells her, like, oh, he'll be right down. And uh, Bruce Wayne goes and meets her. And then there's, like, suddenly these flashes, like, throughout all, like, throughout the years of their relationship and them coming together and getting married and Bruce settling down and having kids. And, at the you know, at the end, he, like, he thanks um, Alfred because he had this normal happy life but that's of, that's of course Alfred's fantasy and the reality is that Alfred tells Julie that oh he's unavailable right now and it cuts to Batman swinging around the city uh, yeah. interesting interesting so questions I have mm-hmm. um, if if he's if, if as long as he's not as long as there's something not weird going on with him like like he knows his name is Bruce Wayne, but he doesn't know what that means, you know. But at the same time, if he knows Julie, then I think Julie would pick up on something being weird with him, whether or right. not she knew that she was that he was Batman. Unless we're doing a Thomas Elliot thing again for some reason. Unless they are, and I don't think they are. No, they're not. Um, but another thing is, he says, "Who are you, and what are you doing?" Now he might very well be not expect to see Jim Gordon. Yeah, I think it's um, the lights are off, and he's surprised. Oh well, that's true. He says. He just sees him in the dark and then says, who are you and what are you doing? And, and then he turns the lights on, sees him. And you don't actually get, you don't, you actually, that's true. You don't really get an idea whether or not he recognizes as Jim. Uh, and I just missed Jim Gordon's mustache. But I, anyway, oh, that line at the beginning was, was like, awesome. my, my mustache, my superpowers, my mustache grows back every 30 minutes. Um, so good. But if he's, if Bruce, okay. Point blank. If Bruce Wayne is alive, if he's not trying to hide the fact that he's alive, then why? And even though he's not operating as Batman, why is he leaving Dick in the dark? Why has he gone radio silent while Dick is under on an undercover mission for him? And and isn't at least doing some things on you know in an underground kind of way? Is is he uh, is he dark in Grayson? I I'm really behind on Grayson. Um, at least with the first issue that has come out since um, in June. He like Dick can't get a hold of him. Okay. Which I know in future issues, Dick is going back to Gotham, so maybe he will have a run in with Bruce Wayne, and they're and they're just hiding it. But um, currently, Dick can't get in touch with them. We'll see. Which we'll is see weird, only because 
it, it doesn't quite sync up with in-game because in in-game you have the switcheroo where it's actually Dick Grayson dressed up as Batman fighting the Joker. Uh-huh. So he's like, so Dick should be aware, like Dick was present when Bruce goes into the hole when you think about it. Yeah. So he should be aware of the fact that Bruce is presumed dead. The only thing I can think of is that he was trying to contact Bruce and he goes back and I, I don't know. Like, I don't think he just freaking hit the Joker you know, and then I was like, all right, guys, I'm done. Like, city's in peril, but I got to go, you know? Yeah. It's the, 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 and, and that happens. Like, it's it's not a big deal. You know, five years from now, we're not going to care about this discretion, but... Right. It's, uh, or discrepancy. Yeah. We're not going to be in this moment anymore. You know, but other things like, you know, if Bruce is alive, why is... is Does he know that Damien is going on a globetrotting expedition? Is he okay with it? Because Bruce strikes me as you know, that he's still at a point... And their relationship where he would not be cool with Damien just going out on his own. Yeah, no, they, and I mean, of course it's, it still seems like uh, Alfred's in the dark and that Julia's in the dark. I don't think Julia's in the dark. I think Julia's in on it. It seemed like uh, well, actually, have they not shown Alfred yet in the last issue? They or two? haven't. We haven't seen him. Never mind then. I they do show Alfred. I was thinking of a Batman Superman issue where Superman oh. shows up to the Batcave, and Alfred's there. And they talk, and I can't remember how the conversation went down, but it seemed final, you know, like that yeah. Bruce wasn't around. Yeah, I mean, there, there uh, definitely, there, you know, this definitely does raise a lot of questions that I'm sure we'll get answers to. Of course, it's a cliffhanger ending. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to give us all the answers right now because they want to give us. Uh, they want us to buy the next. Yeah, issue. they want us the incentive to come back and try to figure out, you know, what all the answers are, and we're probably not going to get all the answers. You know, I hope. That this does end up being satisfactory, uh, mm-hmm. I I have faith that they will be able to pull this off because they've been pulling the rest of this off really well. Um, but you know, let's let's step back from Bruce Wayne a little bit. That's obviously is a very big point in this issue. But I thought there was a lot of really great stuff. Rewind. Um, we're gonna rewind it back. Um, Son you know, of a bat truck. It, yeah, it it does jump around um, a little bit. Uh Man, there's just like there's so much that I could talk about with this issue, and I don't want to take up all of our time. Um, I I will say on the art side, still great art. I love the panel of um, when uh, you know the bad guy is covered up in the the city material, and he looks like a giant monster Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really like jumped out to me really well. But uh, what one concept I loved from this issue was the Batman app that they talk about, mm-hmm. where. You know, if you see trouble, you open up the app and you click on it, and what it does is it alerts everybody in like a what what did it say like one or two mile radius that you're in trouble, and it tells you where it's at. But it also gives a direct line to, you know, the the state sponsored Batman so that he can get there. Um, but I, I you know I love that idea of uh, it doesn't just tell the police; it tells other people so they have a chance. Like you know, and that was Batman to Bruce Wayne, or you know, to to Batman. Um, before Jim Gordon was that, you know, the inspiration to other people like Batman would help other people. So I should help other people too. you know, mm-hmm. be like the bat. Um, what was it? Oh, I loved the, uh, the conversation between, uh, Jim and, uh, and commissioner Sawyer. And it was like totally, you know, this totally throughout this issue, Jim Gordon is trying to be Bruce Wayne, Batman. And, and mm-hmm. sort of the moral of it is that you can't be, you know, it's the same thing that happened with Dick Grayson. It's you can't be the Bruce Wayne Batman. You have to be who you are as Batman. Let your mm-hmm. Batman define itself. 
uh, you know, don't don't for for Jim Gordon, it's don't use the uh, the batarangs, use the the batarang gun. For Dick Grayson, it was don't try to be the uh, the dark and serious Batman. Be you know who you are. You're a little lighter hearted. You're you know he got along a lot better with the cops because he was a former cop himself. He knew how to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he has this moment with the commissioner where he's like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll solve this crime. I'll do it myself. And the commissioner's just like, uh, remember who you are now. Like you, you're a different Batman. This is a whole different setup. Uh, and then the digital camouflage disappearing joke. That was uh, funny. Was, was, was pretty good. But it, and it's saying, it's not saying that like he's Batman, but he's not, he's not the outlaw Batman. He like, he's trying to like push her for more information. She's like, after today, I can't do this. Right. It's like, someone else will do the, with the detective work and you'll do the heavy lifting. Exactly. So in a lot of ways he's, he's moving farther and farther away from being the cop that he's used to, mm-hmm. which it, you know, it goes without saying, cause he's operating in a giant bat tank. Right. Uh, and his giant bat, bat truck. Bat. Well, no, like the blimp, I guess, is what it is. It's a, it's a pretty crazy blimp. The bat blimp. It actually looks really cool. I like the page. Um, right before he jumps out of it, it, the the final panel on the page where he's like standing on the, the platform and he's looking down at the city. I like the the dialogue, not the dialogue, but the, the captions. The captions where he's like talking never... about how like I'm not used to this view. Yeah, he usually sees it from below. He's in it. Yeah. yeah, and this it is it was it's a good panel that uses like a lot of blacks to really convey, you know. Yeah, you know, good. and the the colorist in this book is continuing to be above and beyond, um, and, and it's just so crazy that we're getting this bright, colorful Batman book, and it works so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you know, there's so much I can say. Uh, there's so much I will still say. I'm excited for the re- the Mister Bloom reveal as that continues to build. Um, don't want to take up all of our time with this though, so let's let's move on now to uh, to treading some real old ground, and uh, let's talk about some Civil War. Civil War. So I didn't read it. I I wasn't one of the books that I caught this week. Um, but why don't you you know tell us a little bit about what's going on? Well, I do love talking. Yes, you do, and I'll try to. You know, I'm not asking for a, a page by page play of the book. I just want to page just, just one. Tell us what's going on. Dang it! It opens in the prison 42 from the original Civil War, as the ant- registration and anti-registration sides duke it out for all the marbles. Except, dun dun dun. It's actually interesting. I mean, the original Civil War is divisive to say the least. I think people will definitely be intrigued by just how blown out of proportions everything gets as a result. You know, do I believe that it could snowball as much as it does in this? I'm, I'm stretching it a bit, but you know what? Crazier things have happened in comics. What I will say that makes the whole issue amazing is Peter Parker becoming the new Falcon. What? Uh, What? Yeah. Okay. So, there's um, when you kind of cut forward to present day, you know, it's been I think like six years uh, since that that last fight in the prison. Now wait, oh yeah. So how so how are they categorizing this as different than the current Marvel six one six? All right. You know, so there's... basically, and and this this is one of the things that kind of continued to fuel their aggression against each other was, um, and I think it's going to be one of the larger mysteries in the book. Um, and I don't remember if this is sort of pulled from... Basically, Black Panther um, is, like, trying to hack the computer systems of the prison. 
And what he said, what he tells Dagger is that Iron Man has rigged the entire prison to self-destruct. Hmm. And that she needs to get, get Cloak and have him teleport everyone out of there. And he basically sacrifices himself to try and prolong it as long as possible. And then it cuts to Iron Man getting a message from Maria Hill claiming that T'Challa hacked, that, well, that, that he hacked with the intention to set the self-destruct. Okay. So, so basically, Dagger leaves, and you know, and I'm, it's, some of it's common spoken, but you get the the opinion that, uh oh, was so, Iron Man. Oh, all right. So you just kind of jumped out for that. What was Iron Man? What was that? You like you uh, hopped out. Hear myself talk. Oh, that's really weird. Yeah. Uh, it'll go away. So you hop, okay. you, like you popped out for like just a second. You were like, Sorry. it was so, Iron Man. So Iron Man gets a message from Maria Hill saying that. Black Panther has rigged the place to blow. Right. Um, so, and you get the vibe that Dagger is probably imparting the information that like Iron Man did it. Iron Man thinks that that Captain America's side did it, and then um, so it kind of like creates this like who actually did it side. But Cloak saves everyone that he can. A few notable people uh, go bye bye, including Cloak, Matt Gargan, Tigra, T'Challa, Matt Murdock, Doc Sampson, Janet Van Dyne. And about 15 million people, because as Cloak as Cloak gets everyone out, like the bomb still go, like the the self destruct still goes off, and the explosion rips through Cloak and basically destroys half of New York City, or I think that's the city they're in. It looks like New York. Um, so needless to say, not so good. Um, without going into too many details, in over the next six years, basically they divide the country in half. Captain America takes the West. Uh, Iron Man takes the East. The West becomes this like free state called the Blue. Uh, Iron Man state becomes the Iron. Uh, Iron Man side is like the side that like st- is like still considered a legitimate state in the eyes of the world. So like they have trading partners and stuff like that. The Blue is like a almost like like a, a libertarian paradise um, where basically people live in like small self sufficient villages and you kind of just do your own thing like there's this whole thing where there's this kid that like discovers he has powers and he like i think he's in it's showing some famous rock formation out probably in arizona um and it just shows him blow the crap out of it okay um and then someone comes down another character comes down like catches him and just like he's like oh my god am i in trouble and she's like nah if you want to blow rocks up you know blow them up do whatever you want and that that kind of you know I was like well doesn't have to blow up every famous ancient rock formation that you see but I get the point they're trying to get across. Um, it's it's actually a good book, but basically all I really care about is that Peter Parker is the Falcon. Like how so how does he, why does he decide like yeah Spider Man old news I'm gonna be the Falcon? Well okay so like his top half is like still the Spider Man costume he doesn't wear a mask and he's wearing like camo pants or whatever like military style pants All right that sounds awful um, continue Um and, but he's got like this you know like that cross strap thing on his chest and you don't really know why he has it but then like when something happens and uh Cap tells Peter to like go and scope out uh the sniper um he just freaking busts out wings and then flies away All right that's that's, that's kind of Cool. It's you know it's weird, but when you think about it, like when the original Civil War, Peter Parker was torn between the two sides and ultimately sides on Captain America, so he's continued to do so. Uh-huh. Um, and um, did they wait? I'm sorry. Did they? Did I say that they said Falcon died in the the thing? 
Well, they don't say it. But for whatever reason, um, or maybe it's somewhere in the six years Falcon does die or whatever, but you, you get the vibe that he's Captain America's right-hand man. The Falcon's always been Captain America's right-hand man. Mm -hmm. Ergo, he's the Falcon. Also, when you think about it, there's not a lot of places to swing out in the Western United States. It's true. So he's, you know, besides being strong and agile, he had a disadvantage for his main traveling. So, yeah, give him freaking Falcon wings. Okay. Um, it's it basically, it's a constant series of escalations. The art's really good. It's uh, Lionel Francis Yu, who uh, in general is a good artist, but sometimes, like, I think if he's rushing on a product, you can just tell. Um, but it seems like he's really putting his heart into this book. Um, and it's a mystery. I think it's as much a mystery about who actually rigged the prison to explode and of course who's continuing to incite incidences because a important character to the original civil war this is all i will say gets shot <laughs> and this continues this this amplifies the feud where basically they cap and iron man were meeting for like peace talks to finally end like the civil war the civil war yeah uh and that's just not going to happen with what happens so uh, um, does captain america get shot no. It's always Captain America. No. It was uh, Miriam Sharp. I, I guess I did reveal it. Yeah. I'm not so, going to tell you who it is, but here it is. <laughs> I'm bad. Uh, Miriam Sharp being the woman that slaps Tony Stark in the first issue uh, because her son died oh, in yeah. uh, the town. Um, so she apparently has been living on the border between the two states, and she has you know become a pair uh, uh, a, a fairly important figure and was trying to broker peace talks between Cap and Iron Man. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she done got shot. Oh, snap. But, you know, again, without doing the play-by-play -play as I'm apt to do, it's it's good. I, I really wasn't planning on, on picking it up. I actually was... Like, I kind of, with the Marvel books, because you get the codes, I was doing... Uh, I do, like, code trading. Mm. Um, and I was... Like a guy like had already agreed to like send me a book that I want, but I didn't want to buy. And basically, I I kind of just settled on like, all right. Well, you know, he was looking for Civil War. I'll just pick up Civil War. I like the artist. I like the writer. What could go wrong? And I'm actually glad I did. It was a good purchase. Okay, yeah, it's it's a book that I was really like curious to check out, but I didn't because I just had so many gripes about the you know the original storyline, and like people have these weird rose colored glasses about it. Because they're like all excited for the movie coming out. It's like, don't you remember the storyline kind of sucked? Uh, it's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> there was a robotic Thor is all I'm going to say. But Well, I think if you, I mean, and I think going into this, like, it doesn't necessarily matter if the original story was good or bad. It just, it kind of <laughs> right. jumps off from the end of it. And just goes in like the zaniest direction you can think right. of. Right, and and there you know, and there was a lot of stuff about that that storyline that I that I thought was very interesting that I thought was just handled very poorly. So it's cool if they could take those concepts and and just ramp them up. It's fun that we get to examine these in like a microcosm, mm -hmm. where now we get to do whatever we want. You know, like Old Man Logan was always in its own own thing, but stories like Renew Your Vows and Civil War. You know, these are uh, these are stories that, you know, they kind of had a place, but then had to continue and evolve and change. And now it's like, no, 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 no. What if we just kept on that line forever? Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I think and one thing you see in Civil War is actually that Peter Parker and MJ are still together, and they have a daughter, not hmm. the same characters that are in Renew right. Your Vows, but they apparently they've been separated for those six years, 
while uh, Spider-Man's been on in the blue and she's been trapped on the iron. Hmm. Um, interesting uh, little tidbit, but um, crap, I just forgot what we were going to say. Keep going, David. Uh, no, I don't really know what else I, you know, I have to say about it. Um, I, it's, you know, there's one of the many Civil War books where I'm like, that's a really cool idea. I'd really like to read it, but I don't really got the time. It's probably one I'd be more inclined to because I'm more familiar with the story than, mm-hmm. say, like the Age of Apocalypse um, or like any of the X-Men ones, basically, where I've, I've heard of the storyline. I just haven't read it Yeah. ever. Oh, I know um, what I was going to say. I was basically pointing out that uh, with some of these Battle World books, Secret Wars books, like they really play fast and loose on whether or not they actually take place on Battle World. Like as far as like publishing is concerned, they do. I mean, there's no reference to Doom or like Hail Doom or God Doom Save Us or who the Baron is or any of that. Well, Old, um, old Man Logan, well, I guess Old Man Logan like talks about the wall. But... Well, old man, well, old man Logan, if you go into the second issue, travels into oh, no, the Age of Apocalypse. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm reading it. I'm oh, yeah, it. yeah. So, I mean, like some books like Old Man Logan, especially because Old Man Logan's continuing on into the main Marvel Universe. Written you know, he's taking a bigger picture view of Battleworld. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so that's going to be like, like, are they taking the Battle World incarnation or the one from his old story? Oh, so many questions. Well, the idea is that the 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 old man Logan that's on Battle World is the old old man Logan from the Mark Miller Steve McNeven run. Like, as far as you're concerned, right? But I'm saying, like, is this is the one in the all new, all different Marvel going to have memories of Battle World? That, I guess, remains to be seen. He def like, as far as interviews are concerned right now, they definitely imply that, like, he realizes he comes from a different time. <laughs> so either it becomes just a matter of time travel or, like, there's going to be people that remember the battle world happened. Maybe it'll be kind of like House of M where select people remember that oh, things have changed. God, I hope they don't. How how would you how would you live with that? You'd want to yell at everyone all the time. Well, yeah, like, but I mean, when they think about it, like if you if you, it's not just to say have all the superheroes remember. Um, you could have them all not remember, but if you're going to have them all remember, you probably want to have the whole populace of the world remember. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of you know for for you and I to say wake up tomorrow and then realize that like we have this whole other life, you know, on this patchwork planet called Battle World, you know, like they would probably drive us all nuts. There's lots of things that drive me nuts. Just further insanity would help me calm down. It's like, oh, thank God I don't have to pretend to fit in anymore. You can just go with it. Everything's crazy. Put some spaghetti on your head, kids. We got stuff to do. Uh, yeah, so Civil War, out now. Pew, pew, pew. People, people are going to uh, pick this up. Oh, man, it's going to be great. People are going to pick this up uh, in like in preparation for the movie. And just be so confused. <laughs> How does this relate at all? I know, it's like, what? The, the Marvel Universe is going to do this story? And it's not even like Civil War 2, it's just Civil War. I know. It's like they, they just introduced uh, the Falcon and, and Spider-Man. Now they're going to be the same guy? <laughs> What's going on? I want to like send one of the Marvel guys a uh, message and just be like, now that Falcon's Captain America, can Peter Parker become Falcon in the normal universe? I mean, he's going to Japan. He's going to do some crazy stuff. He's going to Shanghai, actually. Was it Shanghai? I thought it was Tokyo. Um, suppose, I mean, I'm just going based off of the fact in the interviews they said that like he's going to like London. His, he sets up offices in 
Shanghai, London, all that. Maybe he's planning on setting up an office in Tokyo. I thought, he does I go thought there. another podcast said Tokyo. Maybe I totally misheard them. Maybe they just like clump, Asian, clump all Asian, Asian countries. countries. It's all the same thing. Shanghai, yeah. Tokyo, North Korea. It's all one place. Uh, well, any other thoughts on any other books? Uh, we, um, we got, I'm not going to go into any details on so. them. and it's, it's not quite a recommendation, though I'm going to recommend them. But I feel like with more issues come out, I'd definitely be like, oh, I'm recommending this in full. But two books that came out last week, actually, was 18 Days by Grant Morrison, mm. um, which is a book that's been a long time coming that I didn't even realize was coming at all at this point. That's uh, basically him telling a sort of kind of modern sci-fi version of like a ancient uh, Indian um, like mythology story. You read that, um, but you haven't touched Nameless. This is a bit more easy to digest than Nameless, though still very Morrison. Um, and it's it's good. The art is very. I can't remember the name of the artist, and I don't have the issue in front of me. But the artist is very reminiscent of Becky Cloonan. Like it looks like Becky Cloonan's art, but it's not. Hmm. Um, but it's still good. the The first half is kind of like heavy on the exposition, but it's Morrison exposition, so it's pretty good. <laughs> um, and then it it basically just drops in the story. So like I have no idea who anyone is, but it's still it's still good. And the second one is the Spire by Simon Spurrier and Jeff Stokely. Spurrier is a writer that I'm very fond of. He is batshit insane. <laughs> um, and uh, this book is kind of like, uh, think in a Return of the King, that city that was on the side of the mountain that like went up, 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 and up. Think of right. it a place like that that's called the Spire. And it's kind of, there's like a class warfare. There's kind of like there's the normal humans and there's kind of like the mutiny humans. Um, and then you got the main character who's actually, who's like, like the captain of like the the, the city watch, um, but she's also like one of the mutants there. I forget what they call them. Um, doesn't matter. Um, and then there's this over mid like the, the the king dies and the, the baron dies, and then there's this new baroness, and it's all just like kind of almost like political in a way. And there's like a, it, it expands into this big fantasy world, but it's really 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 good. Mm-hmm. So cool. again, I, I might talk about more once a few more issues have come out. But so far, based on first issues alone, which we all agree can be very hard to pull off, mm-hmm. um, definitely check out 18 Days and The Spire. Very cool. Yeah, I don't really have anything else that I'm... Uh, I'd have something I'm going to recommend later that came out this week, uh, so I'll talk about that more then. But uh, Injection 3 did come out this week. and I, we, I haven't read it yet. We did talked, you read it? I did read it. So we talked about the first one. I don't remember if we talked about the second one on here. I think uh, we did. Now, like... So the third one... I liked because now like we're starting to get a feel for these characters and the, you know, and the start of this was very like in media rest. Like, and and I think I said in the first issue that this is going to be a great book to read in, in, you know, collection trade paperback. And I stand by that based on this issue because now I'm starting to get a feel and all these characters are starting to like get kind of comfortable. Um, and I'm, I'm beginning to understand who they are. Uh, because just in the first couple, I was so confused. I'm like, wait, what's this person's name? I don't even know their name. Um, and, and now, you know, now I do. So this, uh, having it drawn out over three months, and it's not like it's been like kind of exciting and like mysterious, which I mean, it has been, but there's not, not been like cliffhangers. It's just felt all very continual. And I think people are really going to benefit um, from reading this all kind of in, in, in one go. I'm enjoying it more and more. 
um, as time goes on, as I get more comfortable in this world, it just kind of sucks that it's being spread out over so much time. Cause I think I would enjoy this so much more, um, right, you know, right all at once. Uh, oh man, there's just some really like interesting concepts. They start getting into what, a, um, a cunning man is, uh, and, and there's all this like talk about magic, but they're being very round out about like very roundabout about it where it's like there's magic, but there's not like, it's all rooted in science, but like, what if magic is really real and we don't know what we're dealing with? I don't know. It's, it's, it's really cool stuff. It's going here. I still don't know what the injection is. I don't know if, if they've said at some point and I just forgetting. I'll have to look that up later, but yeah, injection is still cool stuff. But there is so much more that we have to talk about, so we are going to barrel on ahead right now. And we're, I, uh, we've both kind of read um, Archie number one. From what you've read, yay, nay? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I don't think I've ever read an Archie book. Like, I've flipped through them in, like, the grocery line. You know, like, oh, like that panel, that panel. But I've never, like, read through an entire Archie story. So I don't have a lot to go on. I kind of, you know, get all the characters. They're fairly simple, I guess. Is I guess that's okay to say. Like they, 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 they wear their essence on their sleeve. And if you're Jughead, so, you wear your crown on your head. And and if you're Jughead, you wear your crown on your head. So I mean, I kind of get the vibe as I'm going in, and I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I. It's, it hasn't been that long since we were in high school, but it's, it's. It's still, it feels, I mean, Archie kind of has to be idyllic in a way, like, oh, for it sure. just wasn't stuff that I was super worried about in high school, but, like, they're all just like, oh, the lipstick incident, like, you know, what happened between Archie and Betty and, and, oh, the rich girl's moving the town, and there's, you know, it's just like, the fact that this is consuming the school, and they're, like, super concerned with their, their relationship, so they're gonna, like, get them to like become homecoming king and queen like this is just stuff that i did not care about and by did not care about i mean i secretly cared about it but no one wanted me to participate right i totally get you so what i'm saying is is that the book was great except i'm super envious that i don't get that life right no isn't it yeah isn't that always odd um i i enjoyed the book as well from what i've read of it um as i mentioned to you kind of pre-show the fiona staples art is throwing me off big time because my major exposure to her is Saga, and I love Saga, and I just I ravenously consume it, and I, I pick up the volumes as they come out, and I reread them. So, you know, just for me, like, her art is synonymous with Saga, and seeing her, you know, people, her drawing people in other books, I'm, I'm waiting to, like, see, like, what's wrong with this? Like, where are their horns at? Do they have wings? Like, what, what weird species spider are spider vaginas? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, what? how many people are actually inside of your clothes just stacked on top of each other to make one entire person? Uh, I, these are just the thoughts that, that run through my head when I see Fiona Staples art now. So, but maybe that's kind of sad. Maybe I, I need a break from, uh, from Saga in order to fully enjoy her art. Okay, don't even say that. I know. I can't. But you know, let's let's talk about news. Let's get my mind off of that horrible thought that I just had out of nowhere. Uh, lots of news this week, which is surprising. You'd think there would be sort of a slowdown with San Diego Comic Con um, starting tomorrow. Well, I feel like, at least what I feel like, in the last couple of San Diego Comic Cons, a lot of publishers and such announce things leading up to San Diego, and then they basically just rehash it during the event. Yeah, I mean, Marvel definitely... just announced all their books. 
you know, a week ago instead of at San Diego Comic-Con. And I know the last couple of years they were really like revealing new books prior to the convention. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's just going to be a lot of rehashing as well. Yeah, I think I, and I think there definitely is an element of we're going to tell you what's going on. So you're going to get like excited by the idea of, oh, like, look at all these Spider-Man books. Then we're going to talk about it more. We're going to you know name some names and you're going to get a chance to ask some questions about them. Yeah. So it gives people the kind of like time to process it and then keep the hype train going. Um, but in you know in other news coming out, DC has announced eight new miniseries uh, for upcoming uh, launching in early 2016. Among them being Swamp Thing, Metalman, Raven, Firestorm, Katana, Cult of the Cobra, Poison Ivy, Cycle of Life and Death, Metamorpho, and Oddly enough, Sugar and Spike, who is a really weird comic from like the 30s or 40s about like so, yeah. the kids who ran around talking in baby talk. Um, so like, I think this is kind of a good way of approaching it of instead of saying like, here's a new ongoing Katana series or here's a new ongoing Firestorm. It's like, here's a new, uh, you know, here's a new limited series. Oh, if it does really well, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and uh, keep it going. I think it's 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 smart, uh, just a smart way of doing it from my perspective. What are your what are your thoughts on these announced? Well, I mean, they're they're definitely, you know, they're not the kind of characters that typically sell very well. Uh, a lot of them are really fun concepts, so I think it's kind of smart that they're doing them as miniseries, seeing how they go and. And, you know, if, say, say like, Fireman does really well and they've got another story lined up, kind of like a shorter version of what Marvel's doing now in, like, the seasons format, where it's just like, well, Firewar Firestorm, historically, like, we're going to launch this book and it's probably going to be canceled in 12 issues. So why don't we just do six-issue segments, you know, say, all you have to do is get in, read it for a few months, and then, and then you get out. Um, what's interesting about all these announcements is that a lot of the original creators are working on the characters Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, these characters are the current New 52 versions. Yeah. Which doesn't matter, neither here nor there. But well, it'll but, be interesting. But some like... of these, some of these um, miniseries don't take place in, uh, at least the ones that are out right now, like uh, Bizarro and Prez, don't take place in the in the current continuity. So maybe a couple of these won't as well? It's very possible. I, I thought with the Metal Men, they were like metal versions of the Justice League. The new ones, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah, um, the Metalman, odd choice, but Metalman. Metalman. It's a fun, um, fun to say. Swamp Thing. Like, is it going to be Scott Snyder's version of Swamp Thing, or is it going to be like when Lemwin first created Swamp Thing, Bing. which actually I think was the same thing. <laughs> Bring back White Lantern Swamp Thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's the version we're all um, clamoring for. Raven Ravens looked very different in the new Fifty Two, so I'm wondering if this is if this is some way going to bring her closer to her normal look. Like she looks like a bird. Yeah, well, she looks the, like a raven. The current stuff. My yeah. microphone. Oh, there you go. Ha -ha. My microphone just came off my desk. All right, keep talking. Um, and then Firestorm. Like, is it gonna be with Professor Stein? Are they gonna keep it with Ronnie and Jason, which would be my preference? Um, I don't know. Uh, and Katana, I mean, Katana had a series not that long ago and it wasn't doing so hot. Um, but like I said, basically these books, like they're niche characters. Okay, they're niche characters. Uh, they have a hard time finding an audience. I don't have high expectations for these books to do well. I personally 
am not I don't have a desire to run out and buy them the second or like pre-order them or anything. But yeah. if I hear something good, maybe I'll check them out in the future. So so a lot of these characters are usually supporting characters and they do really well in their supporting roles. Uh you know, they have the staying power um for that a lot of people you know, like or a lot of these characters, you know, who are in supporting roles will have fans who just like really like them. So it's fun that they're saying, "Hey, for you know, for a few issues, we're going to put them in the spotlight. We're going to commit uh, to you know to six issue, to say just six issues of this character in the spotlight." So for the fans, like, you know, they're getting it. Like they know, you know, they hope that they get an ongoing, but they know they probably never will. But it's like, hey, you know, for for half a year. I get to pick up a book exclusively about my favorite character. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, DC's probably not expecting, they're probably expecting some of these, or hoping some of these will sell really well and give, you know, give ideas for future ongoings. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they're probably expecting these will, you know, they'll they'll sell just fine and we'll, you know, we'll make what we need to off of them. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. Like you said, I'm not going to, there's none of these that I'm probably gonna run out and grab none of these characters really uh speak to me sugar and spike could be interesting but i'll wait to hear more about that or hear some reviews uh what's our next story there nick it is uh aftershock comics a new comic startup uh that features mike marks uh uh, as the editor-in-chief who was previously of marvel and previous previously of dc he left Batman's uh, Batman, the uh, the editor of the Batman books, to become the X Men editor again at Marvel, which he held for about five seconds and then moved on to AfterShark Comics. All right. So history lesson done. I I mean, besides the fact that they're enlisted, first off, they're saying they enlisted these A list creators, and it sounds like they're primarily working on an anthology book that's mm-hmm. going to come first. Right. So it's uh, not Neil like Gaiman, it's Neil Gaiman launching the next Sandman through Jim, Aftershock. Jim Starlin, Amy Chu, and Brian uh, Stelfreeze will be doing the short story anthology. Or will be yeah. contributing. So it's like I mean, it's cool as long at the end of the at the end of the day, as long as the 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 end like the end product is good, then I don't really care if it's published by Aftershock Comics, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, whoever. Um, so it really just comes down to the product. Uh, if they're basically just doing this one anthology and then who knows who, who they're going to get afterwards, I don't know. It's really too early to say. Yeah. The well, names involved are cool, especially having Neil Gaiman on something. Yeah, yeah. But they've also got, you know, they've got uh, Garth Ennis, they've got Amanda Connor, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Palmiotti, Palmiotti, Paul Jenkins, um, you know, others uh, like Frank, uh, Frank. Uh, Barberry or however you pronounce it. Barber Barberry. Yeah, you yeah. know who I you know I've talked up uh, five ghosts quite a bit. Um, Justin Jordan, you know, like yeah, these are not names to to scoff at. Absolutely um, not. A lot, a lot of them are are writers that have been really making a name for themselves in the last two three years, mm-hmm. uh, like Justin Jordan, Frank, uh, Margaret Bennett, and then of course you have got some good old guard like Garth Ennis, Neil Gaiman, Jimmy Palmiotti, and all that. Um, so I mean. At the very least, I'll just check out the anthology book. You know, yeah, it yeah. really just depends on the projects that come out. You know what I mean? No, for sure. And uh, Neil Gaiman's bread and butter is actually short stories. So, so I'm sure good. it'll be uh, it'll be good, good stuff. But uh, yeah. this next bit of news is my personal favorite, probably my 
news of the week. Yeah, um, so uh, just for time reasons, I think we're just going to cut it. What? <laughs> what? Well, before you try to cut it off, Paula Rivera, Wait, artist John, extraordinaire. John Arcudi's been writing BPRD. He's been writing it for years. Man, I got to get on BPRD. Yeah, I mean, if you're liking Rumble, like, you got to check out. Yeah. I mean, I. Hold on. Where's my Hellboy collection? I've got a bunch of. Where are my Hellboy? Oh, there they are. I've got a bunch of Hellboy and a bunch of BPRD, but I've got holes in between them, and I haven't collected, like, the last 10 volumes of each. So I'm way behind, but, like, once I get all those volumes, like, I'm burning through all of Hellboy and BPRD all right. and all the little side miniseries. But, all right, tell us this news. But Lay anyway, it on us. Paula Rivera, artist of Daredevil, of the most recently The Valiant, uh, tons of Marvel work uh, covers and so on and so forth, is doing the art for a three-issue Hellboy in the BPRD miniseries that takes place in 1953. And that's all I really care about. So I just think it's going to be cool to see Paul Rivera, who's an art style that, I mean, he's amazing, but the Hellboy universe has always had a particular, like whether you're aesthetic Mike Mignola or Duncan Fergretto, uh, yeah, particular aesthetic. And I feel like they're really looking for Paul Rivera to be Paul Rivera. I'm sorry, Paulo Rivera. Um, so it'll be an aesthetically different adventure than we're used to. Though Alex Maley did do the previous Hellboy in the BPRD miniseries, and he's not necessarily he he's actually more like Mignola and like Fergretto and the other artists. Um, interesting enough, I don't know if you knew this, but James Heron, who's working on Rumble, did a bunch of Hellboy and BPRD stuff. Ooh, I did um, not. Mostly on BPRD, I believe. Um, but anyway, I am excited for Paul Rivera on Hellboy. Super stoked. No, very cool. Um, it's you know, Hellboy is one of those series where I've read a little bit of it, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm always like, man, I really want to get more. But it's it's really a daunting universe to jump into for us for something that feels like it should be really easily accessible. Well, like, it's kind of like Invincible, which with Invincible, I had the opportunity to just like dive right in and like read 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 until i made at least with invincible you got one series but there were like 100 issues by the time i came around to it um with hellboy and bprd like yes there's a lot of books but dark horse has been really and their method of it like it's pretty linear like you can start with hellboy volume one and work your way up you can start with bprd volume one and work your way up if you want to read a lot of the additional miniseries like the Abe Sapien series or Witchfinder or whatever, like you can. Hellboy but I think as Hellboy. long as you're at least reading Hellboy or, and or BPRD, then you're all set. Yeah. Yeah. I, they I, just got to find the time. I, yeah, I guess. Like, I'm not saying, like, it seems difficult to access. It's just, like, really daunting time-wise. It is an just, investment at this so point. so much of it now. Yeah. Which is, like, cool that this, this property has so much staying power that people love it. It's, like... Like, oh, I don't have the time. There's mm -hmm. so much other stuff I want to say I'm going to read and then never read. Like this, our giant stacks of unread comics. Oh, dude, I got to... Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, but, um... other, other Dark Horse news. We're just going to kind of jump to this news story since oh, yeah, we're on yeah. the Dark Horse train. Uh, Dark Horse Comics and Universal Cable Productions team up to produce comic-based shows. This is a new story. I feel like we've hashed out a lot. Um, it's kind of like the what's going on with Map Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick, where basically Universal gets first look 
at Dark Horse Properties for development. Yeah, so we actually have apparently uh, some that have already entered development. Um, Colin Bunnan, Tyler Crooks, Harrow County, Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba's Umbrella Academy, and Paul Chadwick's Concrete. Uh, all cool. The stuff I've never read, unfortunately. Um, but I, I really like that TV companies are now contacting more indie publishers and seeing like all these great series that have gone on for so long or that have these really great concepts. And it's like, oh man, you know, we can't just keep remaking Friends or trying to remake Friends. You know, we can't like make a new Dawson's Creek because people will like famous like, what stories do you have? You have crazy stuff going on. You mm-hmm. guys have great ideas. Let's just borrow those. Because um, I feel like every other month we're announcing like, oh, you know, Image Comics is, is now doing uh, TV stuff. Now it's Dark Horse. You know, DC and Marvel have been on this game for a while. And like, I'm all for it. Like, just, let's just keep it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, like, what other Dark Horse properties can we turn into TV shows? I mean, besides the Hellboy universe, they have uh, well, Solomon Kane, and I don't know. They got stuff. Know. Oh, okay, yeah, you know, uh, Hellboy and Solomon Kane, that's all they got going for them. <laughs> I mean, they've, yeah, I mean, Dark Horse, I feel like, especially, I mean, they had the Star Wars license, that was a big thing. I think Dark Horse is really trying to restructure itself going forward, because they really are competing with not only Marvel and DC, but Image has been taking such a big part of the cake now that is trying to differentiate, well, you know, no two image books are really alike. So what is it that Dark Horse is offering besides being, like, the place that publishes Hellboy? You know, like, what could they potentially be doing that image can't do? Oh, so, okay. so I really feel like without having, and without necessarily being, like, the licensed publisher, like Dynamite, like, they want to be something, they want to be their own unique thing. And I think they're perfectly capable of doing that, but what it is, I personally don't know yet. Yeah, all right. So I'm kind of looking, oh, Aeon Flux... Um, that was already a series, though. Yeah, I think they and they do have some like they license some manga. They license, you know. Yeah, like, like Akira. Uh, they had Astro Boy. Apparently, um, Army of Darkness. I wonder if they're in on the uh the new uh Evil Dead show, which I'm gonna watch like crazy. Uh, you know what? You know what show we need to revive in some capacity? What? Is that the Mask? Ah, uh, the Mask. Yeah, that was originally a Dark Horse property, and it's insane. I plan on reading that one day, because it's apparently just uh, just all sorts of messed up. Have you ever read any of the old Mask? No, I, got, I know it exists, but I've only really seen the movie. Oh, wait. Oh, man, this is interesting. So, uh, the Mask already had its own animated series uh, back in 1995 to 1997 on CBS, and spawned its own short-run comic book series, Adventures of the Mask. Uh, John Arcudi, former writer of the original comics, pinned two episodes of the cartoon. Okay, that's I was reading that wrong. But yeah, John Arcudi wrote two of them. Huh. Uh, so oh, wait. Oh, man. The Mask itself, the comic, is written by John Arcudi. Like he created it? Yeah, he created The Mask. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Weird how I have not discovered that up to this point. Nice uh, man, he is a messed up guy. Then <laughs> Rumble is just so wholesome. Yeah, and he's and uh, part of the the Paul Rivera announcement was that John Arcudi is actually leaving the Hellboy universe. Yeah, for 
wherever else he's going besides uh, Rumble. He's just got all that sweet Rumble money. Right. He's just like lining his walls. Speaking um, of money. Oh, and long story short, Dark Horse is now on Comixology. Dark Horse oh, previously. Oh, right. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. That was one of the news stories from a couple weeks ago. Yeah. They gone. normally just have their own application for it, like their own system and everything, which I actually have an account and a bunch of free comics that I downloaded from them. Um, but I should probably go check it out and see what I have. Of course, now you can get some of them on Comixology, and which is pretty cool because I just I like the guided view application of Comixology, and that's all I really have to say on the matter. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it it seems a little begrudging because they're not doing like they're not doing their full catalog on there. Um, what is it like? They're just doing certain. They've got like all the Sin Cities. They've got some Hellboy and they've got some manga and some other books. But, they're, but they're not I mean, doing, I think it's just a matter of time slowly not, rolling it out. Are they? They're not doing single issues though, are they? Not that I saw. I think it's all been basically volumes at yeah. the moment. Yeah, it's yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's a little bit grudging of like, all right, we're not going to give you like the really current stuff, but here's some other. And like, if this works out, I guess we'll stick around on Comicsology, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be a test run. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, that's a good way of, of testing the waters, seeing what there is. But speaking of money, uh, let's just talk about how much money Robert Downey Jr. has. More money uh, than I'll ever see. Yeah, spoiler alert, it is a lot of money. I feel like even though he, you know, he's significant in Civil War, he's, like, it's still supposed to be Captain America's movie, so, like, he's getting paid a lot for being well, essentially a... You know. Yeah, so it's, so there's a few reasons for that, just to kind of go into it a little. Um, part of that is because when they when, when he originally signed on for his original however many picture deal, uh, his uh, like manager and agent were geniuses and basically wrote into this contract because you know nobody could have foreseen at that time what this was going to become, and so they they got written into the contract that some percentage of the box office sales would come directly back to Robert Downey Jr. Usually for these kind of blockbusters, they give uh, the actors, you know, X amount of money and that's all you get. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's way more complicated than that. And there's some, you know, kickbacks here and there, but typically it's, it's like, Hey, you want to be in our movie? Here's, you know, $10 million. Robert Downey Jr., though, got it cut of the box office, which is completely different. Uh, and for the 2012 um, Avengers film alone, he made $50 million. $50 million. Like which that. is a lot of cheddar. And so he has earned $80 million for his parts in Avengers Age of Ultron and next year's Captain America Civil War. Uh... Like, what is he doing with all this money aside from, like, building a house out of it or sexing beautiful women on top of it? What indeed? It just seems like I get that he's popular. And I don't – I mean, I think part of it is ego. You can definitely not – you can't not say that Downey Jr. doesn't have an ego. There definitely is a level of ego. There's also – Again, his managers and agents being like, look, you want him to keep playing Tony Stark? He's not going to get any other roles if he keeps playing Tony Stark. Everyone will think he's just Tony Stark. Give us a lot of money. Yeah. And, of course, it seems like whenever Tony Stark is president, the movies do make more money. Yes. And it's not – I mean, Marvel's Marvel as a company, I think, has made plenty of money back that – in the reality of things, 
they can afford to give him the money. But it is sad that, and I, I realize that he kind of star billing is what star billing is, but that other characters on the Avengers are kind of settling for their, <laughs> to me, still fantastic amounts of money. But, you know, what am I trying to say? You know, like, they're just not getting paid as much. Like, they're all basically the same character. They should all be holding the same level of importance, but they're getting paid a lot less. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, good for Rod Downey Jr. He's made more money than most people really need, and uh, I hope it really he really just finishes that kitchen he wants. <laughs> what, if, what if that's what this is all going towards? Like Guys, I need an $80 million kitchen. Like he has a really, like, like, normal house, you know, like, you know, four bedroom, two and a half bath. Uh, it's got a nice yard for the kids. But, like, the, the, the kitchen is just, like, insane. It's, like, it, it alone is, like, two stories tall. It's got, like, robot chefs. Oh, yeah. Dude, those, those aren't cheap. Those will run you, like, a cool, like, two million each. And he's got, like, six of them. And, like, maintenance on those guys, not cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, he's in four of the studio's top five grossing films. It's easy when there's only like ten of them, and he is in like six of them. Very true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I can't be bothered to like get into the quagmire of financial messes like this. He's making his money as long as they keep making no, the movies and no one gets shot and killed. Well, you know, unless it, unless he wants to spare a million or two for me. What do I care? No, it's like it's just funny to like look at and like kind of laugh about because it's like I will never see that amount of money in my lifetime. I know, and yeah. I get like on one hand, like I I got like this. Someone explained this reference to me. It's more for football players than other sports people, which might get paid exorbitant amount of money. But say like football players, they really take a beating on the field, so it's it's like they might be making if their career lasts for several years. Like yeah, they might be making millions and millions each season. But they retire really young, and they probably have a crap ton of issues coming mm -hmm. out of a career in football. So, like, that money, depending on how lavish you live, can dry up really fast. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, I'm potentially going to be working until I'm, you know, into my 60s, 70s, and so on. You know, and, I mean, still making a lot less comparatively, but I'm at least, you know, if I stick to my current employment style, like, I'm not in really any real danger of like deteriorating because mm -hmm. of my job. Right. Right. Uh, and with, with acting in theory, you never know if you're going to have another role. Like you can make 80 million today, but then like, you know, come out as like a super racist tomorrow and then no one wants to hire him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, I just have to think that he has like all this money. Like, cause he's, you know, he's clean and sober now. And, uh, I'm, you know, other, other, Actors would probably be like, oh, $800 million worth of cocaine, huh? I can snap that. <laughs> and, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is like, oh, $800 million. I can, I don't know, pay to have somebody killed and never heard from again and no questions asked. You really uh, could. Man, you have to wonder, is there someone he's had killed? And you have to wonder, where did the idea come from to make Grant Morrison the editor-in-chief of Heavy Metal? Uh, it was... It was a stroke of genius. It was an, an angel came down from on high and said to Heavy Metal, uh, Lo, let me show you the way. Uh, heavy Metal is a weird thing. Um, I'm sure those of you who are listening right now are probably like, what the hell is Heavy Metal? 
Um, and I have the same question. Now it is a yeah, I barely know. So it is a magazine um, that uh, has I, I has not ever actually been successful. Um, in fact, it was supposed to uh, go under until Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, stepped in because uh, he had all of his Ninja Turtles money and uh, basically bought it up and said, yeah, let's just keep publishing it. Like, nobody's buying it, but I don't care. Let's just keep making it. And uh, and now today, or a few days ago, they announced that Grant Morrison will be uh, editor-in-chief, and he has said that he will be writing for the magazine as well. Which is, you know, makes me want to check it out. I know it's, in some instances been kind of like a smut magazine, but, you know, not necessarily bad in and of itself, but... I'll be. I, I'm very curious what kind of aesthetic Grant Moore. And I think he actually said it's like a big aesthetic thing for him. Uh, but, yeah, he said um, the idea of immersing myself in the aesthetic of heavy metal is exciting. It's going to change the clothes I wear, the way I create. It's like a performance for me. Yeah. Kind of thing that Grant Morrison would say. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, whenever the first issue comes out, like you know, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. It's definitely going to see an upswing. Uh, for sure. For, from curiosity. Yeah, pure curiosity upswing from people like us who love grant morrison and upswing from the people who are looking for new reasons to hate grant morrison um and oh yeah also also cool for heavy metal grant morrison will be bringing some of his uh art and writer friends to the show really it's a win-win for everyone here mm-hmm. it just it's something that just fits so well it's such a bizarre crazy thing but like when i read the story i'm like yeah no i can see it yep I get it. It's a new stage in his career. Like he's, you know, a lot of writers kind of take on editor in chief type roles. Yeah. He's not going to stop doing comics. Exactly. um, But he's going to, uh, you know, now he's just got something a little more steady. He doesn't have to live uh, paycheck to paycheck. As it were. Because like usually you have to, if you're a writer, you have to be on like several books at once in order to, you know, have any sort of a living yeah, exactly. Unless you have some kind of exclusive contract with like Marvel or DC, yeah, you know, you don't get like all your benefits are basically you get it through either private insurance for the state or whatever. Yeah, but you're still paying out of pocket. I mean, you're paying out of pocket either way, but the, the stability isn't there. Yeah, you're I, not guaranteed anything. Yeah, I have a friend who, um, well, I've used that term loosely, but uh, I have an acquaintance who. Um, I'm saying that from from his point of view, we'd be acquaintances at best. Uh, who is kind of up and coming in the comic game and he's just constantly like you know he's posting like oh I got this great job great and the next post will be about how he's going like going on his next pitch um, it's just like it's just non-stop even though he's getting very consistent work yep you, you have to keep working for it it's like auditioning for a role in a movie yep uh, which uh, you probably don't listen to the Nerdist podcast do no. you? Oh, they just had a really interesting one with the guy who did the voice of Aladdin Oh really? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was pretty fun. Just like him hey. talking about his career, hmm. and uh, he's like he he writes he writes now for TV. Interesting. Uh, he was also on Full House. Interestinger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and like Full House is coming back. Yeah, and he's been offered to return in his role because he like he has a pretty regular uh, part in the show. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so enough of the heck yeah. We love Full House comics. Full House comics. Heck yeah, we full, love Full that's House. That's a Full House comic. I think, I think the market is there. Uh, they, no, actually, no. they had this really funny idea 
of like creating like a show like that and just have one character that has a mysterious like pile of bodies around them of like their friends keep dying or like people they're associated with like keep dying. I just have it mentioned in passing throughout the series Mm -hmm. and be like, wait a minute. Are they killing people? Are they a murderer? You know, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Uh, We got some casting news coming down the wire for Marvel Studios. Uh, L- or as what would you say, Elsie Young? I swear that is how my phone corrected it. It was also sure. really late, and I was, was yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce her real name. Lod Young. Lod Young. Okay, Lod Young has been cast as Marvel's uh, Electra in upcoming season two of Daredevil. Yep. Uh, so we've known this character is coming. Um, oh, they are going with the route where. Uh, her and Matt Murdock knew each other before. Well, they mentioned that he had a Greek college girlfriend in the oh, first season. Oh, you're right. I gotta rewatch that first season. Yeah. After I watched it all in like two days. I gotta, gotta slow down. You missed things. Yeah. Now, I mean, she's Asian-y. I, that's, that sounds really bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Olivia, <laughs> Olivia Munn looks real silent. She's blackish. Right. Uh, oh man, we're just gonna end this podcast now. <laughs> um, so, so it's like I, mm, what am I trying to say? You're, you're not. I, I don't want to bring up this excited. can of worms, but it's one thing. It's like it's weird because when it's just, when you're just like standard white, when they're, when are not just like like he's identifiably Irish or Italian or something. If you're just like that white guy, I really don't care if like they're just like oh well you're black now. Like, cause it's just, it really is one of those things where them being Irish or, you know, whatever their actual ethnic background is, doesn't really come into focus at all. Oh, but God. someone like Electra, who's supposed to be discussion. Greek. Okay. Not and named Electra, I mean, I don't really, I don't know anyone named Electra. Maybe I'm just, I, I don't really know the history of the name Electra, but just cause she's supposed to be Greek. I think the name Electra Naturist actually is pretty Greek. And Elodie Young Looks like she can definitely do that smoldering intensity, which is very important. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, are they... Because they mentioned that she is Greek, so is she going to be, like, half Greek, half Asian? Um, is she actually Asian? I mean, just no, the last French. name kind of makes me think that she's Asian. I'm pretty sure she's French. Yeah, she was born in France. She's of Cambodian and French descent. Okay, so they'll probably do something like Asian and, like some, and whether or not they stick with Cambodian... They might do... I think she can pull off Greek just fine. I don't think they have to pretend that she's half of anything. Well, they could. I mean, I don't see what the issue would be. I think it's somewhat obvious, but... I mean, you know what a Greek person looks like, right? They... Most Greek people don't look half Asian. Okay, have you just, like, just straight up Googled her? I'm on, I'm on her page. Like, no, not, like... It's like, all I did was just Google her. I'm not seeing, like... Her picture is like, yeah, oh, she's Cambodian. I can kind of see it. She doesn't like jump out to me as like, oh, she's obviously Asian. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm I guess you're gonna... right. The picture that they use on the CBR page, yeah, definitely does. I will give you that. But you're right. When you look at more photos of her, I think again, this is kind of like a neither here nor there thing. I just think that with Electra, her her being Greek it seems to be a big key point of the character. Yeah, man, we're towing um, some real dangerous lines with this conversation here. <laughs> uh. No, I think we're good. People, yeah. people understand what we're trying to say. I, like I said, I think she's she's got that smoldering intensity. I really think, I, I, I personally, without having actually seen her in anything, 
I think she will do a good job. They've done a good job casting so far. I can't imagine that she didn't pull off the audition. Yeah, honestly. yeah. This definitely seems like, you know, she's not a super well-known quantity. And given that this is a TV show sort of thing, like there definitely probably was an audition process. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know her from anything. She, she was in G.I. Joe the first G.I. Joe, no, G.I. Joe Retaliation. That was the sequel. Oh, she was in Retaliation. Which I haven't seen either of them, so why does it matter? Uh, <laughs> I have she's also going to be in 2016's Gods of Egypt. Um, so, you know, we, now, we know we're getting uh, Daredevil, and we're getting The Punisher, and there's still rumor that we're getting a bullseye uh, popping around. I think they should just... That, that's a good That's a good three, you know, and plus you have to think the hand is going to play a part. I think, you know, once we get a bullseye kind of in here, like, that's good. Like, just play around in that playground, you know? Yeah. Punisher, Electron, Bullseye, and how the Punisher kind of mixes in with it all will be interesting. Yeah, I imagine the Bullseye will probably be tied to Kingpin in some way. Yeah. And I'm curious how, I mean, Electra's going to be coming from the hand, but it, I mean, there's so many X factors. Kingpin's in, in prison, you know, is it going to just be a power vacuum thing? Because they, they do establish that the hand has control of, like, a portion of Hell's Kitchen. And what's up with that kid who was in the box? Oh, what do they call him? The Black Sky? The Black Swan. No. Was it Black Swan? Black Sky. It was Black Sky. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, Elodie Young. Um, I mean, I'm just getting more and more excited for the second season. I hope, I, you know, it looks like she'll be doing a good job. She's, she, I mean, based on her stuff in G.I. Joe, I mean, she can definitely bring the physicality to the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't take anything from my long-winded like greek you know is the asian thing going to be a problem it's not how i how i actually feel it was just more curiosity uh, that's something they're you know are if are are they because they do mention that she's greek are they going to you know because she is you know actually you know part asian is that something that they're going to reference in the in the show or are they going to ignore it if they ignore it i don't really care um but i was just it's more of a curiosity mm-hmm. um now, have you heard the theory that Daredevil's new uh, sidekick in the comic is a reincarnated stick? I did hear that. A part of me is kind of sad it's not Gambit, which would have been weird, but, but it would have been cool. fun. I think it would have been a good way to go with Gambit. We've had this conversation that Gambit's kind of a man at a time right now. Yeah. Um, anyway, until his movie comes out. Until his movie comes out, and then we're all like, Channing Tatum, yay! I can't really imagine Channing Tatum running around in a trench coat. I have a hard time imagining Gambit running around in a trench coat with the things he does. Right. Uh, speaking still. speaking of attractive actors in Marvel movies, uh, this is a really weird segue, but Marissa <laughs> Tomei has been cast as Aunt May. Now, I've been hearing it's not official official. Like, Marvel and Sony have not come out and said this hmm. is official. Let's see. who Who's reported on this? Everyone's well, reported on, but they report on stuff like this all the time. Now, well, here's here's the thing: Variety has reported on it. Variety uh, has made this mistake before. Yeah, but typically, if Variety posts something, it's like pretty, like pretty. Like other, other like so, Variety says Marissa Tomei to play Aunt May in new Spider-Man movies, whereas like Time and CNN all both say Marissa Tomei in talks to play Aunt May. Hmm. So I don't think it's official. So, yeah, Sony and Marvel have had no comment on the casting. 
like if it wasn't true, you'd think they would like something would be said. So it it probably is a in discussion sort of thing. Yeah, but let's pretend like she has been officially cast and expound our thoughts. Okay, so thoughts on it. One really annoying thing that kept coming up is you know on online um, when people you know when this was getting announced, people were commenting. Oh, Aunt May's typically pretty old, which is true. Like, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. People's response is always like, well, it's Aunt May. It's not Grandma May. It's like, it doesn't matter. He was a high schooler in the original comic, and she was still a gray-haired old woman. Like, I don't... Your, your comment makes no sense to me. Um, I I guess it's, like, it's it's fine. She's a good actress. Um, it just... It, she doesn't seem to fit the role in my mind that's because you're having weird feelings about her no because I also think that well Sally Field has gotten old I guess younger Sally Field I thought was uh, but Mr. Tomei is 50 years old she's, so she's not yeah, she's she, not looks, she looks really great like for 50 she looks really great for 50 but Aunt May's gotta have like some streak of gray in her hair you know she's gotta like look run down how old is Sally Field now Man, that's uh, that's a. She looks run down. Good job, David. Sixty-eight. See, Sally Field, sixty-eight. And... Yeah, yeah, sure. She's close. She's she. Sally Field. Well, I feel like she didn't. She she was spunky, but she didn't really have a lot to do in the films. I felt like she was. She always just looked kind of like bewildered and like where the Peter was going to walk out the door and get hit by a bus, and which what... is not not understandable. Well, that's what like that's that's the like the thing. With Aunt May is that she worries about him in in one really great storyline that I thought that the Sam Raimi films handled pretty well was that Aunt May in the comics has also always been a point of stress for Peter. Um, out, you know, it hasn't enabled him to be a fully free Spider-Man because he's always had to worry about his aunt and making sure that she's not gonna you know drop dead when he walks out the door, that she's gonna have the money she needs to keep her house to keep living and, and, and be successful and independent. And I feel like when you get to like, you know, a, uh, and I really like the Sally Field approach where she, you know, it was very, it was very updated where she had to take on a job despite being retired in order to support Peter and try to help him get through college. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like if you're, you know, like with the casting of Marissa Tomei, we're going to take that element entirely out of the story. Well, not, I mean, not necessarily. You can worry about someone who isn't ancient. Um, but. I, he's going to be worried about everybody who wants to bang his aunt. <laughs> Especially Dr. Octopus when oh, he shows yeah. up in a sequel. Oh, yeah. They should, they, should, they should do that story. And like Spider-Man 2 or 3 or whichever one they end up on with Dr. Octopus. They finally use an older villain like Dr. Octopus. That would be funny. Um, but I mean, it, it, I don't think it, I, I, I mean, it takes away like her increased chances of like a heart attack, but it don't, I don't think it necessarily takes away if it's just them and she's still struggling to make, you know, pay the bills and all that. I, I think that's still going to be a point of stress. If anything, I think they saw Big Hero 6, saw the cool hot aunt in that, and it was like, let's Wait, make Peter Parker hero. Hold up, hold up. Let's back up slightly on what? this. Uh, the cool hot aunt in Big Hero Six. I'm I'm not saying it like I care. I'm just saying that like she was a younger, more attractive person that took on a, a parental figure uh, role 
in the orphaned character's life. Nick, instead of being Nick, tell me about your attraction to middle-aged animated women. <laughs> oh God, I can't stop. Ah, oh, hmm. This is all very. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to come out like this. Oh, she was voiced by Maya Rudolph. Hmm. That's odd. Really? Oh, yeah. I like Maya Rudolph. Yeah. Again, your your attraction deepens. <laughs> um. Anyway, my personal feelings aside, I like that they're playing her a bit younger. I know everyone's just like, "Oh, it's Ultimate Ame." Ultimate Ame was closer to Sally Field as far as her age goes. Mm -hmm. um, but I I do like that this isn't going to be kind of a decrepit like waiting for her to kill over Ame. Yeah, but I, I, somewhere she could still. I mean. Like Sally Fields on me wasn't decrepit and about to fall over it. They they're basically they'll probably just play up the fact that Marissa Tomei has to just like work to help Peter through college or high school or whatever. Right, and I don't want to, you know, I, and my initial reaction of like oh she's like she's too young is really kind of dumb. And I realized that it was a very knee jerk reaction. Obviously, there's a lot of like wait and see how they play it. Yeah. Um, I guess that I just I like the the idea of. Um, like of of an, you know, the Aunt May. Who Peter, you know, Peter always kind of has this this constant worry about. I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't have really strong ties to to everyone within the uh, um within the Spider Man mythos. But Aunt May is one of those ones, you know, like growing up with the animated series and stuff. It's you know, she's she's my aunt too. You know, I, I wanted to be Spider-Man at some point. Why didn't they consider you? I know. Why was I not considered for the role of Aunt May? I would have been a wonderful Aunt May. I think uh, we need to be really progressive. We're just going to go trans transgendered Aunt May. Make it happen. Make it, <laughs> Make it happen. so. What I think what it makes this particular announcement more interesting is that if they, whether or not it ends up being Marissa Tomei or someone in in the same age range, chances are you're going to get a much younger Uncle Ben. Yeah. So you can have someone like Hugh Jackman we be Uncle Ben. We don't need to see Uncle Ben. I mean, you're going to see him. He's either going to be in family photos or yeah, a flashback. So he, like he, They he, might not do, he might not exist concurrently, but... You're gonna see him, like you know they're gonna cast he, him. He can just be a guy. He doesn't have to be an act, like an actual, like famous actor. You know they'll cast a famous actor anyway. No, they won't. Okay, uh, what's his face uh, that was in Martin? Was it Martin Sheen? Uh huh. Uh, whatever. Like he was in Amazing Spider-Man for all of like ten seconds and then died. Uh, he's but he's a, still he's a, in a lot of that movie. He's got some you know. great lines. Um, no, like like Marvel will have no money after all of the casting they have to pay out for Civil War. Yeah, Marissa, right. Marissa Tomei is the end of their budget. <laughs> it's literally just going to be Tom Holland and Marissa Tomei just like <laughs> sitting in front of a green screen. Everyone else is Muppets. <laughs> oh man! No, no, puppets are expensive. CGI is cheaper. Uh, I don't think that's true. But you... then, why do studios not use more puppets? Uh, because. They typically have more money for CGI. After the casting budget for Civil War, they have to go down to puppets. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jim Henson's workshop, they're going to make bank on this. They're going to get a whole cool two grand for all of their puppet work. Uh, but that, I think, will about do it for the news. And that'll about do it for the show, except for our recommendations. Uh, I thought you were like interrupting me that you had something else to say. No. 
Oh, oh, this is kind of announcing recommendation time. Cool. So I'll uh, I'll start us off this week on the recommendation train. Go ahead. And uh, my recommendation, it's a little specific. It's a little odd. It's why it's, it's a book that came out this week, and uh, and it's it's a book that is is near and dear to my heart for very confusing reasons, and that is Invader Zim number one. Dun, dun, dun. So out this week from Oni Press, uh, written by Jonan Yonan Vasquez, um, art by not him, but I think somebody who probably worked on the show. It, they they imitate the style perfectly. Uh, it you know it picks up. I'm assuming after the show and continuing on from there. Not that the show had a bunch of a bunch of continuity to really deal with. Um, I guess it's it's published in conjunction with Nickelodeon Comics. One thing that's really funny about this is, you know, I open the first page and I'm looking, just scanning real quick. Everybody's involved. It says Invader Zim on one part, and right under that it says starring Richard Stephen Horvitz as Zim, Andy Berman as Dib, and a couple others as like characters from the show. And these are the actual voice actors. Um, I I just got a big kick out of that, and of course I was hearing all the voices in my head as I was going along. So do I have to pay them royalties now? Is that what I have to do? I have to pay them for acting in my head. Apparently, um, I think it's how it works. So this uh, this book picks up after the show. Apparently, Zim has been missing for years, and Dib has gone crazy trying to figure out what happened. And it is of course revealed that uh, Zim was just waiting inside of his house uh, while. Uh, you know, doing absolutely nothing just to drive Dib crazy and, and make him get really fat and useless so Zim could go on his reign of terror that involved knocking over trash cans and, cha- and exchanging people's mail. Uh, and, and he's reading his neighbor's newspaper when he didn't pay for a subscription. It's uh, it's wacky. It's, it's zany. Uh, it is, you know, random in the way that Invader Zim will be. But I thought that it was actually a little bit more reined in. Um, and maybe, you know, I've actually rewatched Invader Zim a bit uh, in the last few years. And it, 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 while it does have very random elements, it wasn't always just like super insane out there. Um, they kind of kept, you know, for the story, like for the for the jokes, they kept things fairly lucid. And this felt in that same way. It was funny. It was really goofy. Uh, my recommendation of it is if you were a fan of the show, uh, definitely go out and pick it up. Because uh, it has everything that you, you know, that that made you really enjoy the show, and and they've made it accessible because they know the people who are picking this up are not thirteen year olds now. It is people our age uh, who, you know, who watch the show and and would get excited about this. And so it's got those elements that um, that you know that made you really enjoy the show and that we would have loved it for. Uh, but it also didn't feel like it was written. Um, Primarily to appeal to the the weird uh, spastic kids that we were all back in the day. Uh, so yeah, in Invader Zim. Cool. I mean, it is kind of how we met. So it is definitely with without it, we would not have met. It has historical significance. Maybe we'll tell that story one day. So maybe we'll do an origin story at one point <laughs> that involves Invader Zim. Yep. What's your? What about you, Nick? Your recommendation. I am recommending. Um, I am recommending the Ultimate Galactus trilogy by Warren Ellis. Um, it and by Ultimate, I mean the Ultimate Universe from Marvel Comics. 
Uh, I just happened to, um, I was just like killing time and I had my Marvel Unlimited app up and I was like, oh, let me check this out. So um, it's three separate miniseries, the first one being Ultimate Nightmare, the second being Ultimate Secret, and the last one being Ultimate Extinction. Uh, the first book, or <laughs> with the exception of the third book, the first two both started off with, like the first one had Trevor Hairsign as the artist and then had like a fill-in stint by Steve Epping and then I think went back to Trevor Hairsign by the end. The second one started with Steve McNeven of Old Man Logan fame and then ended with Tom Rainey in like the last two issues, uh, two and a half issues or something like that. I don't know. Uh, the last book was completely drawn by Brandon Peterson, who has kind of like a digital computer rendered looking style, which isn't always my favorite. But now that I think about it, he r- reminds me of um, the artist of Grayson, who I'm blanking on his name. Um, but whatever. Uh, anyway, so it revisions the coming of Gal- the first coming of Galactus to Earth. And over the course of, you know, uh, I think four, eight, um, sorry, uh, 13 issues worth of stories, it really plays up the anticipation, the fear. And on one hand, by the time you get to the end, you feel like there probably should have been more Galactus, but you realize you don't care because the buildup was just done so very well. Um, so in this universe, Galactus isn't just like a big purple man. It's actually a, um, like... It's a cloud. It's, it's not even a cloud. It's... The, how do I even describe them? They're basically robots. They're all robots. They're, but they're sentient. But they're, it's like a hive mind. And there's like a bajillion of them. Like hmm. a ton. Like the they could rope around Jupiter. Um, and they travel across the cosmos. And they eat organic life. And then they move on. It's just all about consumption. And they just have a complete disdain for like actual life. Um and there are there is like a silver surfer element where basically they're the advance guard and instead of like they they do come in herald but they mostly kind of turn you into like a, a Kool Aid drinking cult that like they try and get you to kill yourself so basically um, the, a big theme in the book is energy consumption and just that like you know you only can do so much with so much energy so the idea that even though these robots are super advanced. Uh, and they're super capable and nothing in like a millennia has ever been able to stop them. Like they do make decisions out of energy consumption and they can't, you know, they can show up at an earth, but if the earth or not earth, like a planet and, but if the planet gives any kind of resistance, that's wasted energy on their part. So they develop the silver servers, which they're not really surfers, but they're these silver guys that show up. And they basically, the whole thing is about destabilizing a planet. People go crazy. There's mass suicides. There's pandemonium, panic. Everyone's in a scramble. How could they possibly come up with a solution to defeat Galactus? But obviously, the ultimate universe did not end there. Right. It's Long story now. short, it's good. It's very really cool. good. It's Warren Ellis, so a lot, very, most of the characters are witty, but they do so effectively. Um, he writes a really good ultimate Nick Fury um, you can almost see the beginnings of evil Reed Richards in his ultimate Reed Richards. Uh, like the way that he just, the way he acts, the way he talks to Sue, you're just like, well, that's like borderline, almost like abusive. Almost crazy. Um, um, the Falcon plays a really big role. 
they repurposed the vision as basically Silver Surfer, but more of like a warning, like dudes get the hell out. Um, and it's just it's just overall a very very interesting tale built up over three miniseries. You get a really cool Captain Marvel, uh, the original Marvel Captain Marvel. That's a weird sentence. Um, either way. It's really good. Warren Ellis, Trevor Harrison, Steve Epping, Steve McNeven, Tom Rainey, and Brandon Peterson. It's a laundry list, but uh, if you're just looking to like really kill some time and really get immersed in just like a oh god, oh god, how are we going to get ourselves out of this one? It's done very well. Very cool. Well, there you have it. You have your Galactus recommendation. Uh, both of our recommendations about space aliens this week. Ooh, maybe we should do uh, some themed recommendations sometime. What do you mean? Just like, like aliens, westerns? Yeah, like... like we'll set up like a theme and that'll kind of get us for the next you know week to have to explore some different genres. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll tack it on to, the, to the, the idea list. But anyway, that is going to do it for the show. Thank you so much for listening for uh for checking us out and uh you can of course find out more about us at heckyeahcomics.com you can follow us on twitter at heckyeahcomics you can email us your thoughts or any recommendation uh themes that you think we should do uh at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at davluz you can find nick uh crying over the fact that he hasn't caught up on descender yet <laughs> pretty much anywhere and of course as always if you enjoyed the show then please tell your friends and if you hated it then please tell your enemies until next time goodbye Ever.